0: Okay, ready.
1: Here we go. Here we go. If you're wondering what that sound is, it's the sound of a large green sea turtle taking the occasional breath. And you're one of the few people in the world to hear such a recording. Isn't it great? Have another listen. I'm not a turtle but I can see how others might become <laughs> seduced by these inscrutable creatures.
2: Hello, my gorgeous girls. my gorgeous my girl.
1: Scratching Here's a green sea turtle on the back, it might lift a flipper right up behind so you can get under its soft little armpits. Yes, their shells can feel it, and they wriggle their bottoms to get into a better position. The patterning on the shell and the head is so pretty and their eyes are so ancient. And if one puts up a head to look directly at you or swims over to you in her tank, it does make you feel a little bit, well, I don't know, kind of special.
2: When she goes, I'm going to be hysterical too. But they don't belong with us. They're a wild animal, they belong in the wild, they don't belong with us. Hi, I'm Jenny Gilbert and I'm actually the co-founder and Director of Cancer Turtle Rehab Centre. I'm also a James Cook University turtle researcher. So we're standing beside a juvenile green sea turtle and her name is Nellie. And uh, Nellie's actually a repeat offender. <laughs> she came in first of all. She was suffering from floater syndrome, which is a term for air under the shell. So it can be caused by a lot of problems. They can have an impaction from marine debris, which causes a blockage in their gut. They can get overload of parasites in their gut, which is from a compromised immune system because we have our water out there sometimes is not good quality. So, unfortunately for turtles, they can float for an awfully long time before they die. And it's a very sad and long death for them.
1: Here in far north Queensland, I'm exploring all things turtle. There are communities of passionate volunteers up and down the coast who have trained in turtle rescue, bringing in turtles that are mostly found by passers-by, washed up on the beach, starving and exhausted, or injured by boat strike. And it turns out, there's also a growing number of turtle hospitals run by both marine experts and so-called ordinary people, concerned amateurs who are becoming citizen researchers. At Bowen and Townsville, Cooktown and Coyne Island, Mawoola Bar, the Gold and Sunshine Coasts, and Cairns. Jenny Gilbert, a zoologist and marine biologist, is an authority on turtle health.
2: So when she'd recovered, She was diving and eating and doing turtling things and we released her. She had a satellite tracker on her back. Two years later we actually noticed that there was pings sitting off the shore for four days in a row. She was close to the rocks up in Port Douglas and we picked her up and she was suffering from severe starvation and she also had these cauliflower wart growths on her which is fibropapilloma.
1: The sick turtles first get checked at the vet and then head to a clinic in Cairns. And Jenny sometimes keeps her sickest turtles at her home overnight, and they rest on a saltwater-soaked
2: mattress. So the decision had to be made then, you know, what do we do with her? We actually went to Cairns Diagnostic Imaging and said, can we put her through a CAT scan to see if she had internal fibropapilloma? Because if she did, unfortunately, you know, it's not a good story for them.
1: We headed off to Fitzroy Island, a few kilometres off Cairns, where the turtles spend the last part of their recovery. Here, they're in better health. Under shade cloth, currently nine are swimming in individual plastic tanks. Like all the turtle hospitals, they're attended to by shifts of loving volunteers, offering them small pieces of imported protein-rich squid and shelled prawns to fatten them up before release. If they have floater syndrome, their shells are coated with Vaseline to keep them moist. My name is Larissa Hale. I'm the managing director
3: for Yuko Landowners.
1: Why do you think people are so attracted to turtles? What is it about them that makes people get all gooey? Because they're reptiles. They're not, you know... They're beautiful,
3: and no-one knows how old they really get. They're um, quite peaceful creatures, very friendly, really especially green turtles. I don't know what it is. To me, I just think they're beautiful and they seem very wise. You look at those eyes, they just seem a lot older than what they are. I mean, this one here is probably about 25 years old. So you you think about the big girl there and how old they might get. (laughs) My name's Tracy Bazzo from Bowen Sea Turtles. One turtle, saving one turtle is not going to change the world. What it's going to do is put people's perspective. They're going to look at the turtles and go, well, that was really good. Maybe I can be more careful when I'm out on my boat in the ocean. Maybe I should be picking up more rubbish and things like that. So for me to be able to do this, the satisfaction I get, and I don't leave the turtles. I actually sleep with the turtles when they come in. I don't go home. Um, I get worried for them. It's like having little children.
4: Uh, my name's Colleen Lander and I'm a volunteer at the Cairns Turtle Rehabilitation Centre.
0: Tell me what attracts you to turtles. Well I've been a
4: scuba diver and snorkeler for years and I love all the ocean life but I've just always been really attracted to the turtles and especially when they'll completely ignore you and you're just swimming next to them. and You can just uh, really not interact with them because you're not going to touch them but just enjoy them being there.
1: Is it a connection to nature?
4: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean I'm very much a, uh, I suppose, a greenie <laughs> and um, because of my diving past I guess I am very much care about the future of the ocean and I can see all the terrible things that are happening, that mostly by man. I'm just hoping that the turtles survive to uh, <laughs> keep going. I think they probably will. I think
1: mankind will die
4: out first and then the earth
1: will come back. The biodiversity of the Great Barrier Reef is extraordinary and I think it's easy to forget just how rich our environment is compared to, say, Europe or the Pacific and much of Asia. There are all sorts of strange creatures to be found, but it's the turtles which have inspired their own sea turtle foundation. And Julie Trewick is project manager.
5: I personally am I'm not terribly sentimental about them, they are reptiles, they have small brains, they have very strong instincts and they're really interesting evolutionary traits, but an individual turtle does not love you, you know, it's, <laughs> it's um, some people, I mean, some they do have a bit of a personality, they're not completely just like little robots, but if it helps people to build that connection, then, you know, that's good because, you know, you can build a connection for people who don't have a very strong... Environmental background or understanding of ecology, and you can just you can use those as a gateway into broadening people's awareness of, of the issues.
1: Jenny Gilbert's Cairns Turtle Rehab was self-funded back in 2000 with just two volunteers, and they looked after four or five turtles a year. Coastal development near nesting sites, the devastating impact of the catch-all ghost nets runoff and dredging, destroying vital seagrass beds, these have all been long-standing problems. But the pressure is ramping up, and the most dramatic new issue has been wide-scale destruction of the turtles' habitat by intensifying weather events.
2: In 2011, what happened was we had the mass stranding event and that was of the green sea turtles. So we started off in Cyclone Larry, then we had the floods, then we had a wet-dry system, and then we had Cyclone Yazi, which were virtually the straw that broke the camel's back. And the seagrass beds, which is what green sea turtles eat, were wiped out up the east coast of Queensland. So seagrass goes through cyclones and recovers, but it had so many environmental insults along the way that it just couldn't recover. With the 800% increase in strandings, we actually had about six to 70 turtles in that year so we only had our centre in town so we had half clam kitties pools everywhere with turtles everywhere and we started to get tanks from everybody and we set it all up and then this land over here was donated to us by the Fitzgerald Resort and we set this up.
5: Climate change is sort of the overarching big one and the, the ultimate goal would be to reduce or reverse climate change impacts. But if we can't, then our second goal is to build resilience into the population so that they can deal better with climate change.
1: Is that realistic? Can you make resilient turtles and resilient corals and resilient fish and resilient seagrass? I think if we can stop doing some of the, the
5: very basic mechanical problems, so we can fix the coast net problem by keeping nets out of the ocean. We can fix the coastal development problem by being sensible about, you know, where we're building and, and planning ahead. It's a little bit more difficult to quantify what we can do about these big problems. And that that is kind of the stumper, isn't it?
1: Um, do you find that daunting?
5: I do. I do. But you, you can't just stop trying. So um, I think that's, that's where people are kind of focusing is, okay, we can't individually fix these massive big issues that are internationally significant, but we can fix these smaller ones. And if focusing on, on turtle disease or marine debris or... we can do that, then you've got a few more turtles that may make it through the climate change issue. Um, I think it's a sensible way to go at this point, is all we can do,
1: really. If you come across a turtle while swimming on the reef, you'll see how they seem to defy gravity, these great, round, rock-like creatures that propel themselves so gracefully So little is scientifically known about them though that informal observation is important. Mick Hale is operational manager of the Yuku Badger Muluku Ranger Program and Turtle Hospital near Cooktown. He's a careful observer of his charges.
6: For being on on the country, we'd never noticed sick animals in vast numbers washing up on beaches like we had. And so we just noticed that the seagrass beds were degrading and we were getting more sick turtles washing up on the beaches and we just decided, well, there has to be something we can do. So we just ran with it.
1: I met Mick in Windy Cooktown, 250 kilometers north of Cairns, and we drove straight out to the ranger station at Archer Point, half an hour away. Undercover in a new shed, tucked up in the bush, sits another turtle hospital with five or six turtles in large, clean tanks.
6: We have a vet in Cooktown, and we also talk a lot with uh, Rod and Jenny Gilbert, and we've decided to set up a base here so there's less stress on those animals travelling down to receive medication.
1: As we walk along a deserted beach where a spring-fed, barramundi-rich creek meanders out from the mangroves, and with the wild, bush-covered promontories behind us, Amongst other plastic rubbish, we spot white bottle after white bottle caught in the mangrove roots. There's no significant development for at least 200 kilometres, but the rubbish never stops washing in.
6: Uh, What we're finding now is they've came up with these biodegradable plastics that break down. Well, biodegradable for me means it breaks down to dirt. These plastics break down to microscopic particles that are still plastic. And so when you've got a baby turtle that's hatched, he's run down the beach, run the gauntlet, birds and crabs have missed him. He swims around for three days in the current, just like on Finding Nemo. And instead of eating plankton, they're mistaking these tiny little bits of plastic for food. And so now we're affecting the younger turtles as well as the older ones. I picked up 15 or 16 the other day.
1: 15 or 16 what?
6: Beach bottles more there already, all of this is washed in.
1: (gasps) Yep, plastic bags, green bottles.
6: A lot of the hard plastics we're finding are the white bleach bottles, which is an Indonesian fishing practice. They'll set their net up with the currents and drop their bleach bottles on their bommies. And because they're full of bleach, they'll sink. Bleach will leach out of the bottles and kill everything on on that bommie. And all the fish will just run into that net dead yeah and then they're pulling it up and take it to market and sell it
1: what how's that make you feel
6: pretty bloody bad actually you know there there is no sustainability in that and when you're decimating food chains like that they're not going to recover and especially with reefs they don't handle bleach so you've 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 wiped out a whole micro ecosystem just by fishing that one bommy with bleach
1: Back up at the shed, some of the turtles are really active in their tanks, swimming round and round with an eagle eye for the possibility of a nice bit of squid or a scratch. You can hear one bumping the edge now. A smaller hawksbill turtle lies more quietly and moves away if you approach. The turtles can be there for quite a long time, a good year or two
6: all depends on how quickly they can put their weight back on and if the weather conditions are right to let them go at that time. In the months where we've got our 40 knot trade winds blowing, most of the time we'll wait until that just passes and then we'll let them go to give them a bit of chance of finding their grounds again. The Queensland coast is the harshest environment in the world for sea turtles. Is it? Why? Just because of our, our trade winds and, and stuff like that. The, big currents, and I find that quite amazing considering we have six of the seven species of the world's turtles in our oceans. Being the harshest environment, you'd think they'd prefer to live somewhere else, but no, they're here.
1: So they're kind of adapted to stress, but...
6: Yeah, they are reptiles, they've got slow metabolisms, they take ages to grow, they get used to their environment. Over many years, but if sudden changes occur that they're not used to, then that's where the stress can occur.
1: It's important to take turtles back to where they came from.
6: So the one we have from Port Stewart, that'll be an eight-hour drive. But it's it's important for the community too to see that animal come back to where they found it. It gives them ownership and responsibility of that of that animal itself.
1: What does that lead to?
6: It leads to a better respect of the plight of the animals not everyone realizes how badly affected they are by the larger cyclones coming through and for people to find a a turtle sick bring it to us have it returned a year later at full health and then released on their country where it came from it it really makes them go wow these animals have got issues we we need to do something more for them Uh, more care for your seagrass beds implement go slow zones where you know turtles are feeding, that's a real good one to stop boat strikes.
1: I can't help feeling these turtle hospitals and all the rescue volunteers are part of a nationwide and perceptible shift in community attitude towards their local environment and that's happened over the past couple of decades. The reef in particular is a really clear example, there's a willingness to get involved all along the length of the coast.
6: I could definitely say there has been a a change in the community. You know, you've always had the the right-minded people in a community, but often if they're not a majority, then they're pushed to the side. But the majority has shifted towards conservation. It's not, not just about out there having fun, it's about how we're having fun and not doing any damage while we're doing it.
1: The Junior Ranger Program is a part of the Yuku mulukus proactive community efforts. I think we have 43 Junior
3: Rangers with a waiting list at the moment. Non-Indigenous and Indigenous kids its trying to break down those barriers between the different groups. And we do all sorts of things. We focus a lot on turtles because of the Turtle Hospital and the kids get involved with different things from that. Last year we brought, I think, seven turtles into the beach so they could see how we tag them and measure them and all that so they've got hands on with the turtles. It's a really positive program, like we do the Junior Ranger float in the festival each year so people can see what the kids are doing and learning about. We teach them some traditional stories, we teach them environmental stuff, we do all sorts of stuff. And
1: it's been fantastic. Part of this attitude shift is happening in traditional, culturally significant activities too. Turtle hunting is a native title right and has thousands of years of history. But some ranger groups and traditional owners have chosen to stop hunting altogether.
6: It is part of culture for these animals to be hunted. It's a rite of passage to become a man. And to be able to practise your culture uninhibited is very important for Aboriginal people. But to be able to recognise there is a problem and, and change just a few things within their own practices to make things more sustainable on their side of it it's not only good for the animals but it's it's good for the, the more general community to see that yes we are responsible for these animals and yes we will make changes to our own practices to try and make things better.
3: It's just something that our family group as a whole made a decision and said look how about we put a moratorium in place for five years, see how we go.
1: Hunting is a traditional activity and hunting turtle, particularly for special occasions, is you know, a pretty significant thing to do. How's the community in general responded to that?
3: Quite well, surprisingly. I was, I was worried, especially about some of our younger guys. But our elders, it was the men that made the decision. I actually didn't even sit in the room, so I grew up eating turtle meat. That's the truth of it. I, I remember the old guys hunting, but they hunted differently. And the men sat in the room, they made the decision, it was the elders, and everyone's sort of been good with it. For me,
1: it's
6: a whole new era, I suppose.
1: Do people bring other things?
6: Yeah, <laughs> we went to the IUCN conference in, in Sydney, and on returning from Sydney, just got home at about nine o'clock at night, and about ten minutes later I had a knock on the door, and a guy yelling out Mick you home Mick <laughs> i got a crocodile for you you look after turtles and we found this crocodile so we figured we'd bring it to you <laughs> and so so i took that animal and placed it in our bathtub and it was interesting for my kids okay dad it's shower time can you move that croc <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah i untaped his back legs for him, so he could move around freely, and his eyes. And um, the phone rang, so I ran for it and left the bathroom door open. And on coming back to the bathroom, he wasn't in the bath. <laughs> so it was a quick search of the house to find where he was, and he'd found himself a nice quiet spot underneath my daughter's bed.
3: Terrible. <laughs> I'm just glad we found it before she got home from school. Was <laughs> it a snapper? Did it? Was yeah, it? Yeah, it was really. By then it was really getting angry and we had to try and find out what to do with it.
1: <laughs> a necessary part of understanding what's going on for turtles is finding out what happened to the ones which die. There you
0: goes, come on
1: in. in front of a group of carers, volunteers and student scientists lies a large upside down dead green sea turtle which didn't make it through the night. It was found stranded.
4: Okay. I'll let you know a little bit about this turtle that we're um, doing this afternoon. A
1: couple it of students sharpen knives and then quickly slip the knife between the top and bottom shell, removing it so we can see the turtle was actually really very uncomfortable when she died. Her guts are fatter than my arm and full of compacted food. No one knows yet why the digestive systems of turtles just stop working.
7: One thing I do sort of take note of with the Plastron is its degree of um, concavity or whether it's convex so that will give us an, an indication of the nutritional status of the animal. So you can see that this one's a little bit concave, sunken, in a really fat healthy turtle it tends to be more convex so it'll actually come out. So if some of you have seen the ones in rehab just about ready to be released, they're big fat turtles, they really stick out, big fat belly. We find that in the turtles we see in North Queensland, the highest cause of death is gastrointestinal problems, whether it be an obstruction like this. I have seen enteritis, so inflammation, like if people get gastroenteritis. A lot of the ones I've looked at have had quite dark tarry looking material in there, and I don't know if it's something they've ingested that's abnormal. You can get darker color in the faeces if there's there's bleeding into the intestine, I don't know if it's something else like some kind of oil or something that's collecting on
1: the seagrass that they're feeding on. The turtle just looks, I mean, I know that it's impacted poor things, so its guts yeah. are probably five times larger than they yeah. should be. But he looks like he's all intestine. There's not
7: much else in there. There's not. They're a big walking, swimming, I should say, intestinal tract, yeah. Salemic cavity is full of mostly intestines. When you take it out, there's not much left.
0: Stand <laughs> <laughs> <I came> back! an <laughs> I'm a senior lecturer in virology at James Cook University. Totally like a little black box. We don't know what's inside it. We can only see that it's not doing really well on the outside. Whenever we encounter a problem and we turn to our usual toolbox, then there's just nothing there. That's it. You know? We've we've done that so many times where we're saying, oh look at that, what happened there? We don't know. <laughs>
1: Because so little is known about sea turtle health and behaviour, all the rescuers, qualified or not, are on the front line of research. Jenny Gilbert rescued two turtles whose social interactions with each other were quite unexpected.
2: We released Barney and Betty, who were in this front tank, six months ago with trackers on their back. And when they came in, they were 8 kilos and 12 kilos. When they went out, they were 65 and 67 kilos. So when they came in, they were literally just a shell. So we had to get them eating. Then once they were eating, of course, we had to build up their weight slowly, slowly, slowly. And when they went out, they were absolutely magnificent. And this is another interesting thing about turtles, because they say they're solitary out in the wild. They're in the same tank for two and a half years. And when we used to pull them out weekly to scrub the tanks and scrub them, we put them in separate tanks out here. When we put them back in, They'd sit nose-to-nose, flipper-to-flipper for about an hour. And then when we released them, we released them together, and Betty took off, she got about 500 metres out, and she literally turned around, and she sat there and waited for him. And he caught up to her, and both of them went flippers up for about six times, and then they went wandering down the southward together. And a couple of times, Barney was lagging behind, and she was waiting for him. You could see her sitting there, running around Hinchinbrook Island, going round in circles, waiting for him and everyone was crying, of course.
0: (laughs) The reason why I'm interested in her take on personality and social behavior is because I'm thinking, well, from the point of view of of really dissecting this in a scientific manner and saying, well, what are turtles actually capable of? We tend to regard them as stupid reptiles, and, oh, they're stupid, and they, they don't sense anything, they don't do anything, they don't, seem to have any social behaviour, but I think that's wrong. I really think that's wrong. I think they're capable of all sorts of things. It's just
1: us not being able to see that. This story
2: begs the question of cost.
1: How do you justify it?
2: That's why we call it a $6 million turtle. (laughs) Um, So I think the passion of rehabilitators, as I was saying to you before, we started off with two. We now have 210 volunteers here. We're driven by the fact of... Every turtle that comes in here, if they go back into the breeding program, it's a benefit. If they go back into a population program, it's a benefit. You think about it, I mean, turtles, yes, they do die out on the reef and they die naturally. Unfortunately, we're accelerating it. The major, major threat to turtles is anthropogenic. Anthropogenic is human-induced. And if we can actually rehabilitate an animal and we can put it back out there into the ocean, what we're doing, let's try and do something back.